You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, Christmas comes a little bit early for the Bonzilla podcast as we get to talk about Dr. Christmas Jones and also a lot of other stuff. It's 1999's The World Is Not Enough. The name's Bond. James Bond. Hello, everybody. We are back for another episode of the Bonzilla podcast. I am Nick. I'm Will, and this is early show today. Yes. So preemptive apologies on energy levels on I on think we'll this, get uh, on you, this level. We usually get there at some yeah. point. You're, You're always there. Ah, yeah. I'm the. I'm just a bundle of energy. I believe it or not, I'm the grump of the uh, mm. of, of of the duo. I'm the, yeah. I'm the grumpy co-host if there if there if was there, one. If there was one, yeah. Yeah. Um so in, uh, you may hear uh, some morning coffee. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of those kind of shows yeah. where it's like every now and then we'll just talk very and then Slow. you just hear and then you just hear. Mm, well, don't, don't do that. We're, no, we're, not we're, that. We're, <laughs> that we're gonna not? we're gonna lose viewer. We're gonna lose our listener base. Um, like our, nobody's gonna listen to this episode. They're just gonna stop midway through. Nick, I I made you postpone an, uh, something we were going to talk about yes, last yes, episode. Yes, because now this is a Bond episode, yes. and before we get to the Bond element, uh, we do got to briefly you know, follow up, And because uh, last time when we were talking about Godzilla, I did mention that Will and I did marathon the entire Jack Ryan film series. Mm-hmm. We uh, did not touch upon the John yeah. Krasinski show, but we fit, we watched all five and just films. to give some because you know because we know there are some people who may alternate between episodes that, yeah. that that they listen to. So just to give some context, the Jack Ryan films yeah. have been a franchise, quote unquote, of films that Nick and I have. Just I've been mostly perplexed by. We've been, we've poked fun at it. Yeah, in the past. and it's just kind of one of these movies where it's like you don't know that most of them are Jack Ryan movies, right? Like there's the, no like, yeah. like other than Shadow Recruit, Jack Ryan's in none of the titles. Like like you don't really like Jack Ryan's one of those characters. Like oh like Alec Baldwin and Harrison Ford and Ben Affleck and Chris yeah. Pine have all played this character. It's like, like it's you're like wait, just... Hunt for Red October is a Jack Ryan movie? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. So Nick uh, gifted me the box set of uh, the five films because nick is crazy mm-hmm. um and but well i think will jokingly said he was going to get it for me but i interpreted it as like oh i should chokingly get it for him that's, that's uh, well, you thought like, i was i was doing the like oh you know it'd be nice to have in the apartment like i was i was yeah. like basically negging you into a gift and then i was just no like, that's not what i was doing. wasn't too expensive that best was like yeah, yeah. it seems like a fun gift that being said now that all that's out of the way i can say that i have to submit a retraction on not only one Jack Ryan movie, but maybe the entire franchise. Indeed, yeah, same uh, this, thing. This was a solid five films that I enjoyed to a certain degree every single one of Cause, them. Because we kept waiting for like the one we were just going to be like, oh man, that was like stupidly bad. Which which meant we were waiting for Shadow Recruit. Yeah. Because I think like... We knew so little about it, mm-hmm. and what I was thinking, I was waiting for it to be like, because it's like, the joke we had is like, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. It's like, they're trying to make the next big thing. Yeah. Like, they're trying to, like, force this, this is the next white action hero guy. Well, but then that's the thing. This is the like, next Jason Bourne. Because you, you think it is just a Jason Bourne-esque action yeah. hero, whereas it's like, oh, he's just like... 
you know, yeah, this white guy who's yeah. just like is American and just shoots things. Like, yeah, that's, that's what you think. And like he's going to be an action guy, but I, I have to admit, I was thoroughly surprised by even by even Shadow Recruit. Mm-hmm. But the, the the brief rundown, I'll say, Hunt for Red October. Instant classic, all time classic, best yeah. one of all of them, and Easy. actually like all around great movie. Easily, um, then it's uh, the two Harrison Ford ones, which are Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games, mm-hmm. both solid. Um, I really liked Harrison Ford. I really like um, Alec Baldwin. As yeah, Jack Alec Baldwin is great, and just well, and we'll, once we get through, I'll talk about the character of Jack Ryan. But mm-hmm. then, then we get to uh, the sum. Of then all we get fears. to some of all fears, which that's when I thought we were going to take. Every time I thought we were going to like hit the speed bump. Yeah, I was like, oh wait, and some of all fears, I actually enjoyed quite a bit, and I do, I enjoyed the whole movie, but I do agree with what your assessment of it was, where it's a solid enough movie, but then there's like a big. Shit hits the fan. Stakes have never been higher. Moment, and then the movie just kicks into another. Like once the movie starts playing for keeps, yeah, like it, it's spectacular. Yeah, the second half of that movie is super good for good. And Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit is solid because it never went to that level. It never went to be like a Jason Bourne ripoff. It's still like an er, like a 2010s action spy movie. So they still have like, uh, what's it like, um, Chris Pine like riding a motorcycle at yeah. one point, but. <laughs> They they still maintained, and this is, I think, will transition to what you were going to say, is that I never thought by the end of this, watching these movies, that I would be like, oh, they're really like maintaining the character of Jack Ryan. Indeed, because really I thought like Jack Ryan, you know, just it's just like a white vanilla name. Yeah. So you're thinking like it's just like going to be just your simple action hero. Like he gets in there, he shoots things, you know, he says a line or two. But really, it was interesting kind of seeing the character of the Jack Ryan character, yeah. which is essentially this kind of like, this kind of nerdy guy who is, you know, an analyst and a purely an analyst and keeps getting thrown into these situations. An analyst who used to be in... In, in like, the military. In, in the military. But yeah. even though then it, they never portray it as, like, oh, he was, like, the guy in the no, military. Yeah. He just, like, served. Like. And so what was neat is, like, they really... He, he never really gets to, like... You know, oh, I'm gonna be the shoot guy. Yeah. You know, they use like other characters like John Clark, other Clancy characters throughout the films that do that. What what Jack Ryan is is that he's like he is the analyst, so he's the guy kind of figuring all this out, and then he kind of gets thrown in the middle of this and gets involved. Yeah. But he's never really the one to pick up the gun. He's it, one that kind of is thinking through every single step and like trying to kind of you know get ahead of it as opposed to like having right. to, to, to pick up that gun and shoot it and then even in shadow recruit where again it gets a little bit more actiony yeah. but i think that's mostly because those are just the demands of like a 2010s action movie more mm-hmm. but the actual story and writing they do spend a lot of time on the wait a minute i'm not like this yeah. i'm not an action well, guy I, I, yeah, like I, is, I just killed a guy like there, what like the, and they and i thought that they tastefully mm-hmm. did all of that and, and like even like i remember this like my absurd moment was like when uh towards the end of shadow crew basically they're doing the thing where it's like oh we got to find out where the villains planned to bomb this thing yes like, this, you know that and so you see like uh chris pines jack ryan like do this the analyst thing where yeah. it's like oh we, let's check the this phone record oh let's check the what about the parents and all that sort of stuff and in my head i was just like oh i'm glad they're like really capturing what i liked about like the alec baldwin and the harrison yes. ford and yeah. even the you know that i liked about all those other jack ryans and i do agree with you i think baldwin's performance in hunt for october is my pure favorite it's um, just because it's like it's baldwin 
So there's really no expectation. He just fits the definitely is like a normal mm-hmm. guy. I actually think Affleck is not no, terrible not because that. that was before like, you know, Affleck now. Where yeah. It's like you're they're not because I once the sum of all fears started, I was just waiting for like, all right, how are they going to contrive that this guy becomes like an action hero by the end of the movie? And not really. Maybe like he doesn't. He's, no. he's just purely like this analyst who's like always like not where the action is. Yeah. And I actually thought that was pretty like well constructed and like yeah. listen like you kind of have to be into i'm not like saying like all these movies are like the best of their yeah. genre but for me this type of genre of movie as long as it's done well is like done well enough like i'm i guess i'm not as critical of it and as long as it's like executed well enough i'm like oh i enjoyed it and all these movies were perfectly enjoyable mm-hmm yeah, and I yeah. uh, just got a shout out to um, Harrison Ford in Clear and Present Danger has one of the best Harrison Ford arguing with somebody. Yes, moments. it does. Yeah. He has a couple in that movie. Yeah, yeah no, that is – yeah, he has two in that movie. He has yeah. one when he finds out who the bad guy is, yeah. and then there's another awesome one at the end when he's arguing with the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good like Harrison Ford moments. You broke the law. <laughs> so good. No, he has the, like, the paper in his hand, yeah, too. It's like, you broke the law. <laughs> If I'm so, going down, you're going down with me. So, uh, yeah, I, I suggest the Jack Ryan uh, We We do recommend, I think all of them are just at least solid watches. If anything, everybody should see Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Like, th- that movie is great. That movie is very unique and very good. Yeah. And, and really does capture what, like, is interesting about the Jack was Ryan Was that character. the one that had, like, there were two movies that had big reactions out of me. It was Some of All Fears. Yeah. And then there, was it, yeah, because it was, um... In Hunt for Red October, when you think everything is working out at the end of the movie, yeah. and then something, and then shit hits the fan again, and I remember just being like, "No!" <laughs> yeah, you got. Really, <laughs> I was so invested, really into it. So anyway, so yeah, so that's that. So yeah, I just want to follow up. So apologize to Jack Ryan. I mean, Tom Clancy's dead, so we can't really apologize to him. But you know, yeah. we 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 took well, you, you, for you granted. still could. But like, as I said to you, as I said in Live and Let Die. Jack Ryan has never casually gone up against Voodoo, so Bond still has the edge. That's true. That's true. Speaking of Bond, yes. it's a Bond episode Yay. this week. So we are talking about 1999's The World Is Not Enough. Now put yourself in 1999. We're on the brink of Y2K. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worried about them computers. You're right. And everybody's like, the world's going to end. We need at least one more James Bond movie this millennium. Right. So we're getting this one. Yeah. The one we watch. Yeah. Sorry, it just when you you said like the the, the internet, everybody's like worried about the computers. Uh, I was out last night with some friends, and I was pitching like I want a Bond movie where the internet is actually the villain, mm. and the internet like needs an avatar to like speak with people. And what better avatar for the internet than Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just Jeff Goldblum speaking through a computer. You just want the <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in a Bond movie. Goldblum, <laughs> give me Goldblum. All right, so all right. Um, Brosnan, Brosnan is back. It's number three for him. Yes. Yep. And uh, let's get talking about the world. Yeah, well, that was my segue into you yeah. talking about it. All right. So, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies has released. Um, it is now December 1997. Yeah. Uh, and MGM is fairly satisfied with how the movie turned out. Very satisfied with the, uh, you know, the, the money that it has been making. And, you know, kind of is like, okay, Eon, you know, you can you can do your thing now. Like, they're basically like, they give Eon, you know, more control back over to, like, we, you know, we have our stock out. It's mm-hmm. all good. So, you guys kind of do what you need to do. We'll get another Bond movie out, you know, planned to usually at the kind of every two years at this point. So, 1999. 
Uh, so on our way to a flight to Miami, uh, Barbara Broccoli uh, is viewing the in-flight entertainment on her on her plane. And uh, one of the in-flight entertainments at that time, you know, there would be a lot of those like news segments in between like your movies and stuff like that. And uh, it was a Dateline ABC report about um, oil in a kind of Eastern Europe. Uh, in, in the essence of now that Russia was not in control of those oil pipelines, a lot of companies from the West were coming in and trying to you know, gain that oil, that Russia may have not used that oil most effectively, and now all those countries in the region were becoming much richer uh, in that process, in that kind of fight for the oil in that region. And Barbara Broccoli thought that that would be a good idea for a Bond villain mm -hmm. uh, plot, that it would basically be like oh, someone trying to take control of the oil in the area and kind of, you know, that megalomaniac type of way and kind of controlling the world's oil supply. Uh, so she brings this idea to Michael G. Wilson, and they both agree that this is a good idea. And um, they decide to basically look for some writers to kind of make this move along to the next step. Mm -hmm. Uh, so one of their other producers at Eon uh, mentions two writers that have been British, like in mainstays in British cinema since like the early 90s, uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. Mm -hmm. uh, they come in and um, Barbara and, and Wilson are both a big fan of the work. So when they come in for the meeting, uh, basically uh, Broccoli and uh, Wilson basically like, well, here's what we want to do with the villain. But what do you think the Bond franchise should do next? Uh, I mentioned them specifically, Purvis and Wade, uh, because they are going to be writing every Bond film through now Bond Twenty Five mm -hmm. uh, from now. So they're going to be right. They're going to be the writing team that at least co-writes or writes every Bond movie onward uh, into where we are right now. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so we're going to see a lot of their work and a lot of varying levels of their work, mm -hmm. should I say? Um, so they discuss kind of ideas, and Purvis and Wade also decide to marathon Brock, Rob Broccoli's private collection of the Bond films mm -hmm. uh, that she uh, obtained, you know, from her father. Uh, and as they kind of go through the films, uh, they get the most inspiration from Honor, Majesty's Secret Service, and specifically what Wade and Purvis really are interested in that movie is just how that movie really does focus on Bond's relationship with a woman, with mm -hmm. you know. Um, Tracy and kind of how that affects the movie and how that affects Bond. Right. So they want to kind of do a new version of that, uh, as well as they kind of really like, you know, those older Bond movies kind of having that really intellectual Bond where he's kind of ahead of the game, you know, and he's kind of an investigative type of person, kind of those spy elements. So they want to bring that back. We're like, you know, oh, maybe they have this idea for, you know, kind of Bond discovering the villain, you know, and kind of being suspicious of mm -hmm. that. So uh, they kind of get this movie up uh, and then they Barbara and Purvis and Wade really like the idea of this uh, female character that Bond meets in this movie actually being the villain the idea to an extent that they kind of pitch is that like he thinks he may have found a Tracy but really he's found a Blofeld mm -hmm. type of the idea uh, so this script is written fairly quickly very smooth writing process um, the idea kind of comes together very well uh, the, the script is originally named Electra based on the woman that they create mm -hmm. um, and going through a couple other titles uh, over the over the versions of the script uh, including a title Death Waits for No Man which would be a really funny title to me I don't know it seems like a really absurd title uh, they eventually go with The World Is Not Enough uh, as an honor as an homage to Honor Majesty's Secret Service as that is um, you know in that movie as well as in the Fleming books the world is not enough is indeed the Bond family motto. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of their little homage to that, and they even insert that into the script as well. Cool. 
Um, so now that they have kind of a script, again, very solid script, they are going to be looking for a very solid director. <laughs> Just that. I love that. Uh, like, imagine, like, you're like, all right, we got a solid script. Mm-hmm. All right. It's like, what kind of director? Solid director. We need a solid director for a solid uh, script. So they do ask uh, Roger Spottiswood, who did Toronto Never Dies, to uh-huh. come back. But uh, even though this production is going a lot more smoother and it's going to be a lot more, like, a lot of pre production, a lot more setup. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, Roger's just kind of real tired from the last one. And mm-hmm. it's like, ah, that's That was enough for me. I, I enjoyed doing it, but that was enough for me. So Barbara Broccoli's first idea for a director is Peter Jackson. Okay. <laughs> so, and for those of you who don't know, Nick is uh, is obsessed with pre Lord of the Rings. Yes, Peter I'm, Jackson. I'm a, big, I'm, I'm a big fan of pre Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Peter Jackson, Heavenly Creatures, uh, Meet the Feebles. So what had he done at this point? So he so this would have been basically all the way through the Frighteners. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had done, yeah. So done. he definitely like so to give context to that. He like Peter Jackson's kind of like this like horror guy, mm-hmm. like up until then. I mean, he'd done some other stuff, but he's like, it's just funny. Like it's one of those things where, especially you hear now about like you know directors, you know, getting big breaks and big movies, yeah. like uh, you know your your James Guns and things like that who've done like kind of like either schlock or just weird movies you wouldn't think that would get them a Guardians of the Galaxy. Like you wouldn't peg peter jackson to make a, a bond yeah based off of the, his filmography up until yeah, that point so yeah so basically he had done like heavenly creatures meet the feebles brain dead mm-hmm. frighteners at this point and barbara broccoli was a big fan of heavenly creatures right. she thought it was an amazing movie you know was was one of her like probably one of her favorites of the decade so far mm-hmm. uh but then she was catching up with his filmography and saw the frighteners and did not enjoy the frighteners <laughs> Uh, she was put off kind of by the style of the movie. Didn't feel like Jackson would be a big fit for right. it. And like, because Jackson has kind of talked about that a little bit, where this was also at that point where he was simultaneously, like, because this was like, you know, 97, 98, mm-hmm. where he was already both developing King Kong and Lord of the Rings. And obviously, the King Kong stuff would be delayed because he would do Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, this was at the point in the career where he was going to get one big break, no matter what it was. Yeah. Um, and he always like expressed like like he likes that he chose like Lord of the Rings and King Kong, but he always expressed regret that he never got offered a Bond because he's always like, well, you know, they always look for smaller directors for Bond films, and I'm probably too big for for Bond mm-hmm. now because he's always he's always enjoyed the Bond films and would have liked to try one. But yeah, that was just uh, you know was not into uh, the Judge uh, and the Frighteners and all this sort of stuff, <laughs> which the Frighteners is an amazing movie. Yeah, so and it's like you know, yeah, only. You know, everybody makes a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then her their next choice was an MGM suggestion, a man called Peter Medark, mm-hmm. uh, who they had just had direct Species 2. Okay. And we're like, oh, this is going to be a big hit, and this is going to basically be our big, <laughs> big in-house guy. Uh, spoiler alert, Species 2 failed miserably, yes. and Peter Medak has really not done anything since then. <laughs> Uh, so instead, they go with Michael Apted, mm-hmm. um, who was a very interesting choice. Um, he is known for um, films such as The Coal Miner's Daughter and Gorillas in the Mist. His most famous work is the Seven Up series of documentaries, yeah. uh, where they chose these uh, British kids and you know film them every seven years and keep updated on their lives. Yeah. Um, so of course, in the media, the as uh, as he did the Seven Up series, the film was co-named. Uh, 007 up 
through the media. Excellent. Um, and Apted was in, is interesting because they chose him because of uh, for coal miner's daughter and gorillas in the mist. He was known for working with female uh, actresses. Yeah. Because for three of the films he directed, they had you know Oscar nominated female roles, and Sissy Spag actually won for uh, coal miner's daughter. So he had this kind of legacy of like when he's doing you know dramatic work that he really works with female actresses as well. And Apted was a big Bond fan growing up, so he was eager to take on. You know the challenge, but he was kind of worried in the sense that he would be seen as selling out because he was like kind of you know he was doing this documentary series, mm-hmm. which was another long running you know British series. You know he was doing kind of these drama films, and would he kind of be that? But he was like, well, if they're going to offer me it, I would love to bring my sensibility to a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was eager to take it. Uh, and his first suggestion was to kind of beef up both the Electra and M roles in mm, the movie. Interesting. Um, because he had the idea of, you know, Electra being more spurned by M than anything else. Mm-hmm. And that, that M's kidnapping by Electra would be kind of a major part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decide to, uh, MGM decides to bring on Apted's wife, Dana Stevens, who is a screenwriter, uh, to kind of beef up those female roles to give more of an edge to M. And more of an edge to Electra as well. Yeah. Uh, and Stevens also comes up with the R character uh, at the suggestion of Desmond Leland. Yes. Who was getting older and was really tired of memorizing all the all the uh, <laughs> the uh, technological mumbo jumbo. Right. So he thought he should have an assistant. And apparently he had been pitching this to Eon since Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it was finally like the time to, to do it. Also, what's funny about it is like, so they introduced the character R. Yeah. And I thought that was just a joke. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too much into the movie, but they introduce the character, and then Bond makes a line like, "What?" It's like, "Oh, so what are you R?" Yeah. And then when the credits rolled, like the character's name was R, and I'm like, "Oh, I thought that was a joke." Yeah, it, it was one of those things where it's like never officially confirmed, but in yeah. the credits they just do that, which is which actually happens for another character we'll talk about. Okay. Um. Uh. So this new script uh, is coming along, but now it's like they've. MGM and, and Barbara feels like they've gone kind of overboard with the Electra M stuff. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, they're like, well, now Bond's kind of the second fiddle, and it is a Bond movie. The audience is going to be looking for right. Bond related stuff. Um, so they bring back Bruce Firestein, who had written Goldeneye and had come back to do Tomorrow Never Dies, and you know had basically been the on script writer for that to like beef up the Bond stuff. So basically, Firestein talked about it in an interview. He said that the script had you know these four great writers on it. Uh, Purvis and Wade did the story. Uh, Dana Stevens did the Electra and M stuff, and then he did the Bond stuff. Mm-hmm. So basically, he felt like this was a great example of the Eon collaboration, where all these writers were coming together, and basically each kind of had took their own little section of the script and kind of made that what he felt was strong. Uh, so basically, yeah. So one of the things they they do for this movie after the rough time they had on Tomorrow Never Dies and the kind of the rush production is that they really take their time with it they really want to make this like kind of an, an good smooth production mm-hmm. uh so for the first time since the living daylights they are able to obtain the services of pinewood studios which they are you know very familiar with especially wilson who had been working you know had done all those bond films before they took that break from pinewood uh so they basically set up the schedule and they they're really like okay this is going to be a nice smooth production uh but for first we get to some of that production stuff we're going to get to the casting mm-hmm so obviously Pierce Bosnan comes back, Samantha Bond comes back as Money Penny, you know, Judy Dench as M. All the all the old all the, all the classics. Pier, all the Pierce Brosnan players, Desmond Lee yeah. and SQ. 
Uh, we have uh, Sophie Marsu yes. uh, as uh, Electric King, who is, spoiler alert, the main villain mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, she is a French actress, uh, most known for Braveheart at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very eager to take the role because she had always wanted to play a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thought that the Electric King character was had a complexity, kind of like she liked the boss lady type of, of element to it. And she like, so it was a different role than she was used to playing, so she really enjoyed that. Um, also auditioning for that role was a woman named Maria Grazin Kutoda, mm-hmm. uh, and she was an Italian actress who wanted to also play a villain, um, but Apted thought that her English wasn't strong enough to, to hold that whole movie, especially with kind of the drama they wanted to portray in the Electric King character, but she was really eager to be in the Bond movie. She's like, I'll take whatever role, so she, she ended up being the cigar girl, the assassin at the beginning of the movie. Oh, okay, all right, that's her. At the right. beginning of the movie. Uh, and then rounding up kind of the villain stuff that we have right now is Robert Carlyle mm-hmm. uh, as Renard. He was also kind of it's also an unusual kind of pick because he was known for the Scottish film The Full Monty. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more of that kind of comedy, you know, comedy drama stuff. And um, he wanted to also just be a villain. He wanted to specifically. He said that he was eager to step into the legacy of the Bond villain actors. Mm-hmm. People like, you know, he's like Christopher Lee, Christopher Walken, all those types of people yeah. have, have, you know, um, I, I forgot his name, but the guy who played um, the, the villain in Moonraker. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like all this, they kind of legendary actors who like step into these roles and he wanted to be part of that. Uh, his character uh, has this thing where he feels no pain. Yeah. Uh, which we'll go into more in the movie, but that was basically an unused idea from Tomorrow Never Dies. It was, oh, okay, cool. It was originally the idea for um, the henchman stamper in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually what's funny is that that idea was cut from the movie, but that was used in the novelization of Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. But since nobody reads the novelizations anyway, they just reused the idea. Nick, that's all, ni- that's all well and good. Explain, why is Denise Richards in this movie? Okay. <laughs> This is actually this is actually the most interesting casting part. So yeah, so there is we do have to we do have to talk about the character because this movie is a lot of like all this cool all this stuff is going on and Denise Richards is tagging along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. So yes, there is a character in this movie mm-hmm. and her name is Doctor Christmas Jones. Yes, that is a decision that somebody made. Yes, maybe one of the best names leads to two of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. Um. So originally, as written in in the early drafts of the script, uh, she was a Polynesian insurance um, investigator for the Lloyds of London. Right. Where the the whole original plot was that she was like sent out by this insurance company to investigate insurance related things for the King Pipeline, and then basically she also suspects something of Electra and basically teams up with Bond to kind of solve the mystery. Right. Right. So that's. That's the original scene. She's an insurance investigator, Polynesian, works for Lloyds of London, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. MGM comes to the writers and is like, listen, uh, Pierce Brosnan has been pitching us to do a remake of the Thomas Crown Affair, uh, sorry him, and we're going through with it. We're going to have him you know, produce and star in this movie. Now, in the Thomas Crown Affair, Pierce Brosnan is playing a leading man, and his, the leading woman is an insurance investigator. And because in that movie, it's a heist movie. So her role in that movie is a whole lot more important that she is an insurance investigator. It's basically central to the plot. And MGM is like, listen, we don't want two films in a row where Pierce Brosnan is falling in love (laughs) with an insurance investigator. (laughs) Right. So since Thomas Crown Affair has an important insurance investigator, 
you guys have to change your character. Okay. <laughs> so then the writers kind of pitch for a while. There's one version of the draft where Christmas Jones becomes a bounty hunter looking <laughs> for Renard. Right. Uh, uh, but then they eventually settle with her being a nuclear physicist. <laughs> Uh, so once they get the nuclear physics role, they're going to go with auditions. Yes. Uh, so first person to audition is Ginger Spice from the Spice Girls. What? 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 <laughs> oh, so they didn't know what they were doing and then, day one. Yeah, so she didn't get the role. Yes. And then it was uh, Tiffany Thesian, who was most known for Kelly Kapowski on Saved by the Bell. What? Okay. And then finally, Denise Richards auditioned. What was their thinking? I don't understand. <laughs> They're just like, I guess, American? I mean, Is yeah, their I guess. baseline? Yeah. American actress who's done, like, kind of comedic stuff? It's like, <laughs> seems like they're going with. I, I, okay, all right. So they go with Denise Richards, who at that point had become more of a star due to the star, Starship Troopers. That was kind of her big breakout role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was attracted to Dr. Christmas Jones because, quote, character was very brainy and athletic and was different from the other Bond girls. Sure. Okay. Mm. Good for good for Denise Richards, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, final casting, I should mention, is Robbie Coltrane reappears uh-huh. as um, as a Valentine Zukowski from Goldeneye. Uh, he was just like um, Jack Wade in Tomorrow Never Dies. Zukowski was intended to return in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but... Based on that, how rushed that production was, they couldn't get his schedule lined up. So they decided now that they again they had that kind of smooth production, they could move it around people. They really wanted him back, and a lot of the lines and little moments he has in this movie are based on unused concepts for Goldeneye. Unfortunately, no return of Mini Driver no. in this movie. No, Mini Driver, uh, he probably got tired of receiving. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, What's, what's interesting is because of the smoother production, there wasn't as many kind of big production mm-hmm. stories. Um, I do have a little bit, though. So obviously, Lay it have, on me, my so friend. So we do have the opening sequence. Yes. Which is... Um, a, a pretty lengthy cold open. Which I'll talk about when we get to the movie. Yeah. Um, because there is a reason that's so lengthy. Mm-hmm. Um and well, not, and I don't mean that as a complaint. It was just interesting that it was so long. that it was as long as yeah, it was. Yeah. So the main part of that one is the, the big kind of action sequence. There is um, the the boat chase on the River Thames. Mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting is that like a lot of them, when I was getting like interviews with this, a lot of them were talking about how they really had never filmed in London. Like, like a lot of these Bond mm. movies, have, You're right? Had, you know, could go all over the world and maybe they do a brief shot here and there in London, but none of them have really been, had a major sequence in London. And as Michael G. Wilson said, and once we started setting up the sequence, we, we really understood why that was, because there was a lot of legal tape to get through. Because uh, usually on the River Thames, you know, the, the speed limit for boats is like no more than like 9 to 15 miles an hour. It's mm. not like supposed to be fast. And now they were wanting to do like 60 mile an hour boat chase, all this sort of stuff, jumping on the land and, and all that sort of cool stuff. Um, and they were a lot worried. There was a little bit of pushback before, but then it, the higher it went up, the more like, oh, no, we love the Bond movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go do what you need to do as long as you're doing it safe. Yeah. Um, there's a big moment where the Bond uh, boat does a flip. Yeah. And uh, The Bond boat. The Bond boat. Um, <laughs> and basically, unlike with um, this famous car flip in uh, – the uh, go man with the golden gun. They yeah. couldn't. They couldn't do that naturally. Yeah. They, they basically because of the short distance that it was going. They didn't have they, slide whistles on they cue. They could. Have, they they could. No slide whistles. So what they did, they basically basically attached like six specialized like air cannons to the boat that basically allowed it to do flips fairly like quickly like it does in the in the movie. Um, and they had like they basically did one take of it 
six shots because they were like, you know, just like with that man with the golden gun one, it's like two takes is going to be dangerous. The more we do this, the more it's going to be a danger to our stunt man. Um, But if you, what's really interesting, what's really cool, especially on the bonus features is you can see like, you know, Bronson did a lot of his own driving in the boat Mm -hmm. because you get a lot of shots, good shots of him in that boat. Yeah. uh, Getting wet and stuff like that. Um, and so they, it's cool just how they showed the camera rig and all the water effects and stuff like that as well. Um, it's also noted that the um, opening sequence at the end also features the infamous Millennium Dome, mm-hmm. uh, which was built in London specifically for like the new millennium. And it was kind of a running joke among like British people, just like how it was pretty useless. It was just kind of essentially a pop-up shop shopping center that was like, oh, it's the Millennium Dome. Mm-hmm. And eventually, actually, I had a line at the end. It was like, uh, that was cut that was, well, at least the Millennium Dome had some use, uh, and then it was cut because, like, you know, they didn't want to upset those people who were <laughs> involved with the Millennium Dome. Uh, but that's basically kind of how that sequence came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was filmed all over London. In fact, they, they did shoot outside the actual MI6 headquarters, and there was, again, a little pushback, like, oh, it could be a security reason, but then, like, Parliament was like, listen, Bond's done a lot for Britain. We could do, we could do something. We could do something for Bond. Um, they also do another mountain ski chase. Yes. Uh, and this was another one, just like in the Living Daylights, this was one where they were expecting it to be very, very cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they actually tested the cameras to basically, you know, they kept them overnight in a freezer just to make sure that they would still have batteries and operate in that cold temperatures. Um, so they did, again, it was kind of smooth. They, they had done, you know, the stunt team had done enough uh, ski sequences at that point where they kind of knew what they were doing. Right, yeah. Um, so it wasn't really that one, but they they had to deal with uh, what at one point their trucks, the diesel in their trucks froze, uh, and, and at another point they actually had to evacuate due to an avalanche warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, that that was kind of the the biggest kind of craziness with that. Um, but other than that, really, there's not too much to say about this production. It was generally they they tried to make it smooth, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. I mean, the the other one that was kind of majorly done was that they were intending to film more in Istanbul but then there was right before they were going to film there was an actual bombing in Istanbul Mm. so they basically cut out a sequence of uh, driving through like the small town of Istanbul and stuff which funny enough would kind of a lot of the ideas from that action sequence would reappear in Spectre Mm -hmm. sorry not Spectre uh, Skyfall actually Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of the opening sequence of Skyfall so again you can kind of we'll kind of see that a little bit over now that we have Nick Purvis and Wade on there that like because they're writing all these movies together they may have one idea for one certain ideas that didn't quite get realized in certain films resurface in other ones and this was another one that like everybody says was like just a really fun production it's like they really just like their goal was a much smoother production than Tomorrow Never Dies, and they succeeded. Cool, cool. Well, Nick, I'm I'm actually pretty excited to talk about this one. So, if, without further ado, uh, shall we talk about the world is not enough? That one. Call him off. I won't ask again. Call him off. Call him off. A nod. You wouldn't kill me. You'd miss me. Yes. Die, but I never miss. Merry Christmas. Yes. It's the world is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> 
man, yeah, that kind of you got to work on your doctor jokes. Mm. I don't have any good doctor jokes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're back. Yes, and we're um, going to be talking about a movie called "The World Is Not Enough." Yes, uh, from 1999. Is the world enough? Do you think the yeah. world? Like, if like, what else? What else do you need? There's actually some debate on what that means. <laughs> Especially like knowing that it's like his family motto. Because like I, I guess it was like the like the writers kind of believe that it's just basically like you know it's like he's never satisfied. The, the world is not enough. He's always like looking for that action adventure. He's always looking for like the next girl and mm-hmm. next, or next like adventure to go on. And then there's also a debate where it's like oh like the the you know it's like the physical world is enough. Bond is like a spiritual, like kind of white knight type of person, where he's like, you know, he's he's just kind of the world is not enough. I am bigger than I guess, like from a spiritual perspective. <laughs> I think the first one makes a lot more sense. I, it's like I'm I'm a god, yeah. I'm James Bond, God, yeah, James God. Um, I'm more inclined to believe that that first one was it's Bond is never satisfied as a person. He's always looking so. We are three movies into the Brosnan era, yes, of films. Gotta admit, Nick. I've been enjoying them. Mm. I've been enjoying each one of these and knowing like knowing which one comes next after this. Yeah. Which again is maybe just one of those movies like uh what's the next one? Uh Die Another Day. Yeah. Which it's just kind of like I don't know. I just don't have the energy to hate that movie as much as other people do. Mm-hmm. But as far as I as far as I'm concerned, I've been enjoying the the Brosnan, Brosnan era. era of of Bond films and uh to speak on this one in particular uh, I quite enjoyed this one. Mm. Um, there are, and I think it was another type of example of that there's certain elements that I think are just like really, that are super interesting. Yeah. They kind of like elevate it um, in, in, into something interesting. Um, it's funny you talking about the, the, pro- the process and the, you know, the, the production of it. Because the film, if you remember my criticism of the last one, was that it feels... Like it's like it's interesting, but it doesn't feel quite as like well put together. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it does feel like you know that they were kind of cutting some corners, and it didn't feel it as did, polished. Never, it never really felt like the the, the idea is gestated. Yeah, it just feel like it was one of those movies. Tomorrow Never Dies is again as entertaining as it can be. Yeah, one of those movies that kind of just you know like puts things on the page and doesn't really let them kind of marinate. Right. It's just like oh we have to put it there because they were they were rushed. Whereas I felt like this movie did at least feel pretty thorough in getting through the elements that it wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's very telling that you talking about that for a long time the story did kind of like focus on Electra and like M and that whole plot line because and that feels definitely like the most realized. Yeah aspect of the film and i think that's the strongest aspect of the film and then they you know and maybe some of the other bond stuff you know there's maybe some tight corners here and there but um this definitely felt like um at times um a bond film that was even you know its themes were a little bit more this reminded me going back to what they were doing in goldeneye Mm -hmm. where a lot of its stories and its themes felt like that they were present and gestating and it was kind of about something too and they were um going an interesting angle with the villains um and obviously i'll get more in detail with it but i i have to say i i enjoyed this one i think this movie's fine um, I'm not as high on it as you. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's it's one it is here's the thing. It's one of those movies for me that there are a lot of interesting elements to discuss, and I think there's certain things that stand out. But this it's not really a movie to me that really like 
stands out. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of the movie was like, oh, this is fine. It's like nothing really like, like oh yeah. Like again, one or two things um, were were not one or two. Like a couple things, I, I was like, oh yeah, no, this is actually more interesting than I remembered it being, mm-hmm. or oh, this is kind of a lot more solid than I thought. But on on the whole, I kind of was just felt like, oh yeah, no, this was fine. Yeah, I think for me. And I don't know, like, because to me, I feel like this bridges that gap between um, what we've been seeing in the Brosnan movies thus far and then going into Die Another Day, where, again, don't really hate that movie as much as other people do, but I can see where that's where it, like, quote-unquote, jumps the shark and it mm-hmm. gets really ridiculous. Yeah. But, like, with, like, the action, the set pieces, and the gadgets, which is kind of like at this time in the Bond movies is all I'm, I'm really basing it off of, and I felt like this was just that, to me towing that line of just like that's ridiculous and uh and spectacular and like oh we get some pretty cool gadgets and um and like i said just like some of the stuff with the characters but there's a lot of like different there's like one or two really like three different set pieces that were very like obviously you saw my reaction when yes. we when we were watching them so but. so let's start talking about the movie so okay so plot of the movie basically what's going on in the movie so Bond is. I guess I should start. I'm trying to get. Do I do broad strokes or do I do? There, okay. There, there's a terrorist. Yeah. He's on the loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at one point, he kidnapped this uh, daughter of of where 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 was where was the guy like like he's a well he's a British oil baron yeah and so at one point that he kidnaps like the the oil baron's daughter. And there's uh, some machinations about that that we'll get to. I think that's better to get into yeah. into the plot. Um, but basically, all this event leads to that oil baron getting killed by this uh, terrorist. And the plot of the movie is basically that this terrorist is getting his hands on nuclear weaponry and using these oil pipelines, uh, allegedly, mm-hmm. to basically wreak havoc on the world. Yeah. And it's interesting because that is kind of what... It's one of those things where that's what the movie is about without, quote-unquote, spoiling it. Yeah. Because a lot of the devils are in the details and the twists and the reveals. Because once you hear that, you're kind of like, okay, it's it, it really is... Oops, excuse me. It really is that simple. Like, no, terrorists... It's, it's funny because when you, when you put it like that, there's kind of... It kind of, like, if you just put it like that, yeah. it sounds similar to Goldfinger, where it's like, oh, some guy's going to get a nuclear bomb, and he's going to basically, like, blow up a thing to, like, make himself like, yeah. rich or whatever. But it's, what's like, interesting, what I enjoyed about the movie is that you think that's where it's that's just what it is, and you're waiting for, like, what is the big kind of, like, thing that he, he's doing, but what it, when it gets really interesting is when they, again... Now we're getting into the details of the movie is when you reveal that Elektra is the villain. Yeah. That's when... Like, it's essentially, like, you reveal that Elektra is the villain and Renard is just the henchman. Yes. It's a very Bane, Talia, Al Ghul, Dark Knight Rises <laughs> thing. I will say that it's a better reveal than Bane and Talia. Oh, oh, 100%. Mostly because, like, again, not to spoil it, but they... I kind of think that the Dark Knight Rises would have been more interesting if they revealed that in the halfway through the movie, like it's this sure, one, as sure. opposed to this being like the end. Where well, see, like- that was interesting because I I had mixed feelings at first about like them like doing the whole like oh reveal of she's the villain, but then the movie you can tell that that was the aspect the movie was the most interested in. Yeah, because once they reveal that, they really uh, thoroughly explore that for the rest of the movie. Yeah, but I- as soon as you reveal that she's the villain, then base the movie becomes that. Well, I guess should I explain like what her deal is in, in yeah, the movie? Yeah, we can just talk about it, and then we can just jump. So back the beginning. basically, because this kind of sets up like the uh, overall, uh, like what the movie is about, that 
throughout the whole movie, uh, She's basically playing the part of like, oh, I was kidnapped at one point, and now she has to take over like the family business. Right, because she was kidnapped by Renard, and then there's the whole like again we'll get into like her the whole details of it. But basically, now her father's dead. Yeah, she's like, oh, I have to take control, and I have to do this. And then Bond's sent out to protect her because Renard is they, they they figure out Renard is kind of this bomber. And that she he could be going after King again. And what's interesting is that then they portray her character as somebody who's like. A little damsel in distressy, which kind of makes sense because she went through this whole kidnapping thing, and then they play this angle of like, well, now she's she's taking back agency of her life, and like she's getting in, or she's trying to get in on like the espionage of it, and like showing like I'm not a weak person, and then eventually it is revealed that she is the villain who is basically getting revenge on MI6 and kind of the world, yeah, because and this is where it gets super interesting and super twisted because. It's revealed that she may have fallen in love with Renard, but maybe not. Maybe she's manipulating him, mm-hmm. and but she's mad at like M for like uh, using her as bait instead of just paying a ransom, right? Because he because M uh, back in the kidnapping, M advised King not to pay the ransom because they'll just go and they'll send MI six and get the guy, right? And so she was like, "Oh, you're using him as bait." So then the whole thing is that she would escape, and then they try to kill Renard, but Renard instead gets a bullet lodged in his brain. Oh, oh, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. But, but yeah, but basically, but like, essentially, she is upset that nobody came to rescue her, and yeah. then she is taking it. She is not only taking it out on all the people that she finds responsible, but she's also facilitating in Renard's. Uh, terrorist acts so that she can basically have the uh, um, uh, control over the oil distribution and like you know yeah. her 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 country will remain like the biggest uh, controller of oil in the world and she's like and I it's like I will be the one that brings my family's name to the top of the of the charts and, sh- and stuff like that but that that's essentially what the movie is mm-hmm. um, so but yeah and. I guess, like, just kind of to piggyback off of that, and the a- the actress's name who plays Electra, uh, Sophie Marceau. So I was very impressed with her and that whole plot line, and I think that was the element that maybe kind of like elevated a little bit to me liking the movie as much as I did because it was just one of those things where that was like very, that was like that interesting, really new thing that I hadn't seen in these movies yet. And yeah. we, and I often talk about how I want to see like a female bond villain. And I thought that this movie pretty much delivered on that. And then also like getting into things like, like her kind of mind games with Renard too. And it's like, man, she's really pulling the strings on this guy and just, and I, I was, I was all about like that, that stuff. Yeah. I think she, I think Electra is the strongest part of this movie. I, I, I kind of still feel like they maybe could have gone a, a, a little bit more farther with it, but I do feel that that performance, especially with the turn halfway through, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of things I appreciated about that plot line. Like, I was appreciative, too, that they didn't do the thing where it's like, oh, Bond is, like, completely blindsided by the term. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that they did, like, tease suspicious of it, because then it, you know, that, I think that could have gone, you know, totally differently, but I, I kind of feel like I like that, I appreciate that Bond was, like, more suspicious of things first and yeah. then, and again like i said i do appreciate that the reveal comes halfway through because it's easy to be one of those things where it's like a like the end of second act twist or like the third, sure sure the third act twist and you don't really get that much of the character yeah but this one is very much like no you get more than enough of her in that villain role and i think that's sophie marcy when she says she wanted to play a villain i think she really just dives into being kind of 
yeah know, that that kind of megalomaniac type of villain not like over the top necessarily not like you know yeah that, but, but, I, but she but she takes it to that like nice villain level which is a nice kind of a way for bond to kind of um do kind of play off of her yeah no and i i really enjoyed her but then i think like i wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if it's just like oh now she's the villain and yeah. this is the the plan but i i think i was enamored with it only because of how thoroughly they follow up with it throughout the rest of the movie mm-hmm. and i mean and there's like whole chunks of the movie that are just dedicated to like what she's doing and everything which again maybe from like if i like step back on it is kind of like all right well you can tell like that's that part of like the early drafts of the script that just wanted to focus on her mm-hmm. um but i i was very i was very impressed with all that but that also segues into the other villain yeah. of, of the of the film who who is renard put that down <laughs> You're just messing with a paperclip. Um, Renard, who was... So, <laughs> okay. here's So, here's Renard's thing. Yeah. This is his thing. This is his thing. So, his thing is that he was shot in the head by an assassin. By yeah. an MI6 assassin, by right? By 009. By 009. And it didn't kill him, but it left a bullet burrowing into his head. Yeah. That is like kind of in in a similar sense of Iron Man is just always burrowing closer and closer into his brain, and as it's doing that, it's not only going to slowly kill him eventually, but it's like cutting off all of his senses. And how they describe it in the movie is like as he dies, he's getting stronger. He feels no pain. He feels no, and it's just like how badass could you get like that you're like you literally are just living with a bullet in your brain mm-hmm. that is kind of giving you superpowers. here's the thing for me and for renard like it's one of those things where i like the gimmick yes i feel like they really could have gone farther with it because it's like it when you watch him fight you never really feel like they do the thing where it's like always oh, holding like a hot stone he doesn't feel the pain or anything yeah like yeah that. yeah but when you see him fight you never really get the sense of like oh he's like a guy who doesn't feel pain it's just especially like towards the end fights and stuff like that he really just feels like oh he's just he's just another guy to fawn for fun to I, fight. I would agree i think like i was okay with it because there were like key moments where it came in and yeah. I was fine with that. And that's was enough for me, but I definitely kind of get it. But it's also kind of like how many times you- are you going to be like, Oh, he doesn't feel this because like they even, I think maybe one too many times did the whole him saying like, I'm already dead bond. Or it's yeah. like, I feel not like, it's like, we get it. Like you can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why it's like when they were kind of like a little bit ham fisted about it, I wasn't as into it, but when it was like key moments, like him uh, with Electra, or the final moment in which he actually dies, which is probably my favorite moment. Like that's when I thought that it was like worthy of the whole like he doesn't feel anything. But also, we should mention that the only the reason we know that there's a bullet in his brain is because they show it on a giant hologram. Yes, a very unnecessary hologram mm-hmm. of like this is Renard. This it's- is his giant head. And it's very see the bullet it's, in there. It's very much like this is 1999. Computer technology is getting bigger. It's like the new millennium. Let's do a hologram. Can we talk about also how there's so much unnecessary technology in like MI6 headquarters? Like that there's a there's so many. Apparently there's so many screens and monitors in just one office that M has to specify what screen she has yes. to specify throw that on the wall screen <laughs> yeah. because at one point they're looking at a map and it's just on the floor monitors yeah. like it's just monitors in the floor and then she's like somebody's like oh like Electra is on like the comm or whatever and then she's like oh throw that on the wall screen I can just like, imagine like 
Throw it on the wall screen and then it just says replace this map. No, I still want the map up. <laughs> put the, the map back and put that on the wall screen. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot of that. But um, but there's also, you know, we still get our gadgets, which yeah. we, okay, let's, here's the thing. Let's talk, can we talk about the queue scene or talk about the gadgets? Yeah, there, there's just one gadget I want to mention. Yeah. There, so there is a credit card lock pick. Yeah. It looks like a credit card and it slides back and it's a lock pick. Okay, we can't even get that in one of the Craig movies. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, very, very simple. To do. Again, I was having this conversation about Bond last night with somebody, and I'm like, like, and it just made me mad. The more, like, the more I watch these movies, the more like little elements of the Craig movies make me mad because it's just like, okay, I'm sorry, but a gun that only fires when you shoot it is not a gadget. It's, and it's been done before in these movies. Uh, it's, yeah, it's um. You know, uh, Dalton had that. Yeah. I think uh, Moore had a version of that. Like, they've done that gadget before. And it's also it's like, like that gadget. Oh, that's so realistic. It was done in the more absurd Bond movie. It's also like a terrible gadget only because, like, you have to uh, you have to contrive a way for, like, to, to like, highlight that. Yeah. Like, you have to be like, oh, the bad guy gets the gun and then he can't shoot. Like, it's like, oh, whoopee, technology. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so t- talking about, so we were talking about gadgets, but you brought up the Q scene. Yes. Um, which I didn't think that he was in these movies this long. Mm-hmm. I actually thought he was going to get replaced um, fairly early on into the, into this uh, series of movies. Um, but I will say, like, I enjoyed the Q scene because it was, like, kind of fun. It was understated. I, I really, really enjoyed their moment together, the Bond end. and Q's moment together. Mm-hmm. And I and I really wish, like, they they, they made more out of that. I, I, I kind of, like, because when you watch it, it kind of plays as, like, a, just a quick send-off in the middle of this movie. Yeah. Whereas, like... I thought like maybe they could have made more of a meal out of that as like a like a subplot or something. Yeah, like that may have been more effective scene to me if it was like towards the end of the movie. Yeah, um, and maybe like as he's going into the final battle. Right. Yeah, or, or something like that. Because I thought like, and it's not what the movie was about, but like I thought maybe they were gonna play with this whole like, oh, other people are like moving on, and yeah. that that would have been interesting. But I did like that little moment between them, and then I even I kind of got like a little like uh, it's like like tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. Like it's like oh these guys. These guys are buddies. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially because of how they've played the Pew and Bond relationship in the, in the three Brosnan movies so far. Right. Like, it's it's very much like, you know, Brosnan and Leland have great chemistry together. Uh, and it's good. But we- but yeah, but basically what's going on is that he's just, you know, he he's bringing in his replacement, who yeah. is R, who's played by John, John Cleese. And I do think... Oh, John Cleese is a funny guy. Yeah. And I do what I like. I like how they play R... Is just like him over explaining everything. Yes. Like when he's talking about the jack and he's like, it's got buttons, <laughs> it's got a zipper. You put like you put the zipper here. Yeah. I was I, I gotta be honest though, like I do like they did the whole like, all right, here's the new cue, right? But then he's not in the movie, really. Like no. he's only in that in the final scene yeah. of the of the film, which yeah. I was a little bit I thought like they were once again gonna make a little bit more mm-hmm. out of that there is a new cue. Yeah. Um but I mean, no, it's like, and I and I like, I liked, uh, I like John Cleese, um, and because I, I did like they're kind of bringing in the new guy who, I just kind of like that dynamic that like you know Q is the guy he like knows the ropes at this point him and Bond seem to be kind of like buddies and you know and here comes like the new guy who's like kind of maybe like 
like older Q, like like not older Q, but like Q from the early movies. That's where, exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's like kind of like it's that old, it's that Q from like Goldfinger, where he's a lot more like serious, and like you can kind of tell over the years, Bond and Q have had that like okay, now they're buddies, now they have a relationship. Yeah. Whereas like R still has to build that up. So. Yeah. Um, but you know, I enjoyed that. I, I just like all the Q stuff. I actually like to the point that I I did kind of wish that they made mm, more of it in yeah. the in the movie because um, I thought that would have been interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that. I'm trying to think of other characters. Oh, M gets a uh, a, a bit more sizable of a th- at least a thematic d- portion of I the movie. I do like how like it's it's funny where like all of these directors since Goldeneye have been like, oh yeah, we love we just need more M because Judy Dench is amazing. Yeah, because I think like even in uh, du- Judy Dench herself was like, yeah, on Goldeneye I had like three days, and Tomorrow Never Dies I had like five days, on this movie I had fourteen days. Like they keep bringing me back for more and more and more. Though. This is what's interesting about it, though. Now you are kind of seeing, like, all right, the going back to certain themes quite a bit. Because it's like now, you know, this movie deals with a lot of the sins of the past type deal. And that kind of, like, we will see that again in another sizable M-centered movie with Skyfall about, like, oh, like, you know... Uh, she did something that was like kind of like a tough call to make that like resulted in maybe not the best situation, but like oh, but she's M, she's got to make the tough calls, and yeah. it bites her back, you know, bites her in the butt later on. So I, I will maybe give that little nitpick is like we're kind of seeing that like r- yeah. repeat itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, I kind of that was like are the elements that I really uh, enjoyed, and I think Judy Dench really is just so good in the role, yeah, because she plays it as like. It's very easy for M to come off as just like, you know, cold-hearted dragon lady. Yeah. Like and I do feel like that there's a humanity that Judy Dench brings to the role where, you know, she's talking about like, listen, uh, you know, they wanted the they wanted us to pay the ransom. We didn't want to pay the ransom, so we used Electra as like a as a um as bait essentially. And yeah. that led to the whole and we right, didn't like pay we, the ransom. We like usually like how oh, we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists type yeah. of deal. But you can tell that like Oh, that was a tough call but she, that I'm not proud of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but what's good about it though, it's like because the movie doesn't really make a judgment call about that. Like, right. it, it doesn't kind of lead you to like be like, oh, like M was a M- terrible person, yeah. or yeah, it's just like it was. It was a tough call. They decided to go after the guy instead of just freeing her type of deal. Right, yeah. And then it just, like, kind of backfired in some sense. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, like I said, I liked all that stuff because it it made for an interesting dynamic between, especially, like, when she has the face-off with Renard Mm -hmm. and that they kind of share this, like, conversation about how they both have a role in ruining people's lives and, like, who's really responsible for, like... You know, Renard's obviously, like, you know, the most responsible because he's the bad guy. But then, like, M's like, yeah, but your actions also kind of led to this whole thing happening. And, you know, again, not the most uh, original stuff, but it, it did make for, like, some interesting aspects. Especially just because, you know, we haven't seen M in these roles in this movie right. yet. Um, so, I, I really I really enjoyed that. Um, I like in these movies that uh, the Brosnan Bond gets all, like... Like the women kind of uh, are always like quipping him. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do kind of like that because the one thing I've actually have liked in these movies is that it's they haven't been gross. No, and it is kind of like Bond's like a ladies' man too. But then also kind of like the women are like, nah, I know you're, I know your game, 
Bond. Like it's like you know, I'll play it, but I I, I know what you're talking about. Like yeah. the like the bit with like the doctor and like yeah, Money uh, Penny, who I think has more quips than Bond does in these movies. All right, uh, <laughs> let me ask: Did you catch the name of the doctor? I did not. All right, because never said the movie. It is in the credits. Okay. Doctor's name <laughs> is Doctor Molly Warmflash. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially it is just like an R thing where it's just like it's just like a joke in the script that just kind of got right. put out there but yeah. it's just like I just like to imagine if your last name was actually Warm Flash mm-hmm. like just Molly like the, Warm Flash that sounds like a Pokemon attack yeah <laughs> but just like how would you like yeah like hey I'm a Warm Flash it's English I guess I mean you don't want to be Molly Flash no, no that's actually that's not it's not a terrible name. It's like a superhero kind yeah. of like Molly Flash. Like a like a Flash, like a yeah. part of the Flash family. Yeah. Molly Flash. Yeah. Um, like a speedster. But just like just imagine if your last name was just Warren Flash and you had to fill that out on on like tax returns and stuff like that. Hmm. It'd be crazy. It's a lot of those boxes you gotta fill out. Yeah. But yeah, then Money Penny has her quips as well. Yeah. I like this Money Penny. I just like it that she's like giving him shit. I like because before it wasn't like that. Like it's just kind of like this annoying like bond. Why won't like are, are we going to sleep together? And it's a little bit like that in in this, but it's like it's more of just like again they're they're kind of giving each other shit more yeah. more yeah. more like it. I kinda, it's like, it's I a still, lot more bearable. For like again like the more version of kind of the the Lois Maxwell version where it's like they are just kind of you can more tell their buddies. Yeah, and I like kind of like the first two ones. I feel like. Because I'm going to talk about this more in Die Another Day, but I do feel like we're kind of getting to that edge of like going back to like that like. You know, oh, and Die Another Day goes way back to yeah, no, yeah the thing I don't but, like. But it's but like it's kind of like this is again that kind of mix because yeah. like that first scene is like kind of like yeah are they giving each other shit or is she really into him? But then like they do do like the whole like you know she's giving him shit for sleeping with the doctor type yeah. of deal because she can tell like yeah it was. Um, I also thought this was like a pretty f- like funny movie and it's in some of its dialogue. Like, at least, like, funny in the terms of, like, it had no qualms about having fun with the dialogue. Yeah. Like, and it had no funs about, qualms about a character being, like, a little silly or, yeah. like. Especially with the, um, with, with, uh, Valentine's. Yes. That's yeah, where, that, that's, that's where was... we're getting to because that is basically the other, like, if Electric King is the main highlight of this movie, like, Zakowski is the second main highlight for me in that, like, he, Coltrane just plays it so entertainingly. He gets so many funny and good lines, and it is kind of a nice, funny little relationship oh, that he has with Bond. There's an amazing uh, line in the movie where he walks into this boat, right? Oh, into like this kind of like the a, warehouse. Yeah, yeah, the warehouse on the pier. And uh, Dr. Christmas Jones, who we will mention we, we, right after we, this. We'll talk about. Uh, she, uh, she's just like waiting like there for him, and it's kind of like a distraction. Bond's going to like come up from, from behind him. And uh, and he was just like he's like how on earth did you get he's like how on earth did you get in here I will have to contact security and thank them <laughs> like I was, I'm like oh come on that's that's that's, that's hilarious that's good shit. yeah it's good shit. um but um but the whole movie he's he's just like it's entertaining and it's kind of like you know it's kind of still plays off where they were in Goldeneye where it's like you know at first you know like in Goldeneye. At first, they're like, you know, you shot me, blah blah blah. blah yeah, blah. and then but they eventually they like they are, they are on the same page. And this one, it kind of evolves that where it's just like they're they're now kind of 
you know, maybe not friends, but they're yeah. kind of like... Well, because his whole role is like, again, he's like kind of like an opportunist and he's like, you know, kind of like, like shuttling fuck. money between like different things. He's just like, he's just like getting he, his piece yeah, of the like pie. He, like he's like, oh, I'm a legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate businessman now because he runs a casino, but really he's funneling money th- for Electric King, but yeah. he doesn't know exactly He doesn't know it, like what, it's he's kind just, of like, he's like, he's like he's the gets caught in the, in the situation. And then eventually like he kind of has his chance to save the day too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, which is nice. Pull, pulls that, pulls that. Um, pull that, pull that cane gun. And then, uh, then we well, get to wait. So I was who gonna else say that before? like it's like a nice little callback to Goldeneye because if you remember Goldeneye, Bond shot him, and that's why he walks with the cane. Yes, and then he saves Bond with with his gun cane. So, oh, that is good. I like so, that. So basically, like if Bond had never shot him when when Coltrane was still in the KGB, Bond would be choked to death by that ancient chair device, yeah. which was I thought was interesting. It was a yeah torture device. Um. Yeah, yeah no, we, I we, actually, we do, actually we, like that. We do have um, one more okay. character. Yeah, we do have one so, more character to get through. So here is kind of a, I guess, a sticking point of this movie in a lot of Bond fandom, and that is Denise Richards, Doctor Christmas Jones. Mm-hmm. Now to paint the picture of why this is ridiculous, that it's Denise Richards. It's, she's playing a uh, nuclear physicist. Nuclear physicist who dressed is dressed like Laura Croft. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing, and. Listen, all right, how do I want to start this? I want to start this by saying, like, let me get the good out of the way first. <laughs> yes, because this is stuff. Will has been waiting for this oh, for, like, God. Yes. like, since the beginning of I've this. been waiting for only a couple things since we started this podcast, talking about the Spielberg line from Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and this line. Yeah. But then I forgot there's actually two amazing there's lines. There's two amazing lines, yeah. So she and she gets introduced, and then she was like, and then he's like, Bond, it's like. Because Bond's, Bond's undercover yeah. as, like, a Russian nuclear scientist basically trying to find, like, they, they, like, they know, like, Renard's here. Yeah. He's, like, leading it to here, and there's something going on. He's just, like, he's. He's undercover. And he's like, uh, and he introduces himself and he's like, and you are Miss? And she's like, Doctor. So like, my name is, uh, is Christmas Jones. And it's like, and don't. I've heard all the jokes. And then Bond's like, I don't know any doctor jokes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on. That's, that's screenplay writing at its finest. Yeah. At least you would think until they get even better where right at the end of the movie and I, that's the thing i didn't know this was the final line of the movie i did for i had been so long since i see this movie i forgot it, it they play it they basically play this line like they do like the like the moonraker and like the free rise only where it's like the last thing of the movie is bond sleeping with like the yeah. main girl and they make like some Ooh, this jump. is this may be tied with i think he's attempting re-entry yeah it, that it, this is like that quality of a line but finally bond and christmas jones are sleeping uh to together and then right before credits roll bond's like and i thought christmas only came once a year (laughs) it's a double entendre oh my god dude dude how is that not what what is with you and all these other bond people who don't realize that is the best bond line or at least in the top five because you have to force a woman to be named christmas to make it work It was funny that at one point he's like Christmas, like you're just you're just calling this. Yeah, that's what really makes it's like, like especially because her name was always Christmas Jones. Like that's the one thing through all the job changes when she was an insurance investigator, when she was a bounty hunter, mm-hmm. when she was in nuclear versus her name was always Doctor Christmas Jones. Well, because like. You know, if they did that movie today, it would probably just be they just call her Chris. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then see, they reveal that her name is see, actually that would Christmas be funny Jones. to me. Yeah, like if you like, oh my name's 
Chris Jones, and it's like, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and then like maybe like on like a like a form somewhere, like, like, like they have to in- get her file. And like, yeah, like, exactly. Your name's Christmas, and yeah. like, don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so those are the good things out of the way. Here's the thing about Christmas Jones. It's not that Denise Richards is terrible. It's just she's just kind of tagging along throughout it, it, the like, movie. Here's the thing. Like, it's, not, it's not a sense like the girl in View to a Kill where it's like she's useless. Mm-hmm. She's not. Like they do kind of be like, okay, well, that's why she's needed. She has this like things. But at the, on the same token, you could completely cut that character out of the movie and it would just make no difference. Like th- th- she doesn't have enough of a presence where like, oh, her – her being with Bond is like important enough. It's yeah. like it really is. It's like she is simply like just kind of there along for the ride, and then occasionally she's like, "Oh, if this nuclear thing touches this other nuclear thing, we're gonna blow up." Yeah. No. It, it's there's some tough moments when she has to like deliver some sciency yeah. exposition. That like, ooh, that's a little that's a little rough. If someone, <laughs> if I don't get that back, someone's gonna have my butt. Um. But it's mostly like so. At one point in the movie, Bond gets on like the submarine that's in the third act. Yeah, because the, the 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 eventual plan that they figure out is that like because I guess Zukovsky's money has been secretly funneling money to the submarine, mm-hmm. and so they're basically going to take this nuclear submarine. They're going to put the plutonium they took from the bomb that they stole at the nuclear physicist site into the the basically nuclear reactor, and it's going to set off this nuclear explosion in Istanbul, Mm -hmm. which is going to basically destroy all the other pipelines except for the King Pipeline. So then Elektra's pipeline will be the only major pipeline in, like, kind of Eastern Europe, and that's going to basically change the whole dynamic of the world. Right. And But at one point, Bond gets into the sub, and he, like, says, like, he points a gun at somebody. He's like, where is she? And I completely forgot who he was talking about. Like, I completely forgot she was in the movie. And I was like, what, she? Like, who's well, cause, she? Because at that point, Electra's already dead. Yeah, like, Electra's already dead. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're, like, it's kind of like, or it's like kind of like how you call, like, the bomb a she? Like, I, I just completely <laughs> forgot that Christmas Jones was in the movie. And then when he, like, opened the door and it's her, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, well, Denise cause, Richards. Because then he like, oh, like, you think, you think I forgot about you? And it's like, well, cause we yeah, because I did. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just like it, it, it. I mean, it is. It's just like it really is just a character that just seems like it's there. And like I think like when you go through like the whole process of like they had to change the character, yeah, it kind of makes sense for me now because now it's like well, you're basically having to continue to justify why she's there. Yeah. Because at first, like you had that justification, she's an insurance uh, investigator, so she's doing this investigation, and then you're basically kind of like have to fit that character into the rest of the movie and i just do think that there was no sense of like what that character was meant to be right like you know once she was made a nuclear physicist yeah um so yeah i mean i don't know like it's mostly just like she's just like this weird baggage on the movie but it's like but it's also not like like, distracting yeah no she she's easy enough to ignore in terms of like her not not being useless it's like because again it's like it's not like like she's there to kind of give some nuclear exposition, but it's not like she really does anything of significance. Right. Like if you you other than like Bond's like quips to her, you couldn't tell me like a Christmas Jones like line or moment because it's just like every scene that she is, she's like kind of just there. It's also like the movie I don't think is like truly aware of like that. You're right. Like it's basically like Denise Richards dressed as Lara Croft, and she's like this, you know, supposed to be like this expert in her field, yeah. which is fine. But I kind of feel like you have to have fun with that, though, because mm-hmm. like we had in Goldeneye, um, what 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 was her name? An- Anya in Goldeneye, the Bond girl. Um. Oh, in in which uh, 
like the like the, the his Bond girl, like uh, in Natalia. Natalia, sorry. No, Anya uh, is a spy who loves. Yes, me. I was like about to say like oh, no, no. So, but Natalia, like they kind of did that, and like she's like an attractive like you know woman, but they kind of did like the whole. They just made that work. They well, gave her more of a character. Sure, like that's sure. the thing. Like I said, like with, with Natalia, you have that kind of mini short film that establishes who she is. Right. Like you never really get. There's no real backstory. Right. To like to to Dick Christmas Jones. Like you don't even get a scene where it's like, well, wh- why are you called Christmas? Like you you couldn't even like get that. Where it's like, oh well, my parents. Yeah, that's like, actually true. That there's never a scene like getting to know this character. Really? No, it's just it's just like, oh, she's there, and then she becomes like, because because Electra's the villain. Now she's just slotted into like, I'm gonna sleep with this woman at the end of the movie. And then, and it also doesn't help because you spent like a whole movie up until that point developing like a really interesting female character yeah. in your movie. So. That also makes it stand out even more of right. like, oh, there's nothing yeah, really to this yeah, character. Yeah, Electra is just much, again, much more, Electra has a backstory. She yeah. has a purpose. She has much more of a character. Yeah. And it's also like, because when you get to like, you know, just any scene between like Denise Richards and Pierce Brosnan, and then you get to the scene where Electra is torturing and essentially going to kill Bond. You're so much more invested yeah. in the in the latter. Because that scene is like, you know, is, you know, good. Like, yeah. And then like the whole thing at the end where... You know when she when when she's basically like Bond's like call him off and then Electra doubles down and you're, you're, you'll that miss, was awesome you'll miss me that was awesome because it's like you're, you're seeing like the showdown between the Bond villain and Bond and yeah. they I just think they really did a good job and of then, like, like a, earning like, that like, moment like, you'll miss me shoots her dead and like I never miss that's like a you know classic Bond moment yeah a couple other things to talk about yeah so we do have a lengthy opening sequence yeah uh, the reason it's lengthy is that it was originally so, so basically the movie opens with Bond like he's basically trying to get this money back for King from a Swiss, like a mysterious Swiss bank person, you know, and kind of like this whole ransom thing that's going on. And, you know, he jumps out of a window, he ties a guy, you know, mm-hmm. ties his rope, to, ties a rope to a guy, jumps out a window and stuff. Uh, and then the opening sequence was supposed to end after he jumps out of the window, he's walking back to police, scene would fade into the opening credits. Mm-hmm. But basically the test audiences were like, well, that's kind of anticlimactic, that's not really that exciting. Mm-hmm. So they basically move the opening credits to after the boat chase. Mm. So that's why that sequence is 15 minutes long. Yeah. Because they basically put together two sequences, including one that was not I was all about this sequence, though. The opening sequence. Yeah, especially, like, when Bond gets in that boat, which just looks like a bat boat. Yeah. (laughs) I just, again, because there's, again, a mini little cue moment where he's like, the boat's not ready, Bond. Right, yeah. And it's got, like, a dive option that he does, and it's, like, pretty awesome, like, chase. But then, of course, there's the amazing that it it eventually leads to, you know, this assassin escaping on a hot air balloon, Mm -hmm. which she proceeds to uh, ascend, and Bond does a, drives the boat onto the shore, but then, like, lunges out of the boat to like hey it, it is just it's grab the am- rope it's amazing like, yeah. i love it I yeah no, it's, it's a pretty it. decent fun sequence yeah um anything else to uh share? big another big set piece that i very much enjoyed was oh, so yeah. earlier on you see them building like kind of like this saw contraption yeah. and you don't really know what it's for that's right and yeah. then it comes back to play when they're in the warehouse in the pier it is a helicopter that has a giant arm attached to the bottom of it mm-hmm. that has a bunch of saws yes on it that just slice buildings in half and slice the car in half. It, it is amazing. Like yeah. that's the guy. It's so silly and so ridiculous yes. that I just had fun with no, it. No, that that is the best action sequence in the movie and best action conceit. Yeah, because it's like a thing again. It's like it's what's funny about it is that it's like kind of tease, but you again, it's not really like oh we have this thing or they're building this thing. So when you see this helicopter, which is five saw blades, yes. like just underneath it and just like cutting through this factory, and it's so like what else would you possibly use this for? Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> it is. It's like it's just like oh, and it just like and it creates like just a fun little dynamic of like how Bond is kind of avoiding it. So. Yeah. And that and then because it, it's because as you get a lot of great like because that's at um, Valentine's thing. So he um, his factory, his caviar factory. So you get a lot of fun stuff with him and with Bond and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Bond also has a see-through eyes ga- glasses gadget. Yeah. He briefly yeah. uses, and it's like, oh, he's kind of seeing through all the clothes. Yeah, I mean, but I think they tastefully did that yeah. joke. Like, it was cute, and, and they didn't, like, re- like, they kind of, it was more of, like, he can use these glasses just to see, like, weaponry, and, like, yeah. a li- and like, un- like and because of that, yeah, it's, like, he, like, you can see underwear. Yeah, he, looks at some women. Yeah, and then it, it's, like, again, but it doesn't. Like to me at least, it didn't come off as like it was just kind of like a cute like yeah. h- him doing his job, and then he's like, oh. oh okay. Briefly, <laughs> I just want to mention that you, you, you're like not into the snow sequence. You're just like I'm, I'm just like all right, I get it. Like they're in the mountains and they have to ski, and like thankfully it wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. It was yeah. just like I'm, well, I'm just done. Funny, I'm done I, with skiing. I'm done with the snow. I, yeah, because I was like, well, you know. Uh, we haven't had one in the Brosnan movies yet, but it just feels like it we is. Just, it's just after binging these movies. Remember how I said, like, you know, after yeah. watching all these movies, you just kind of become desensitized to the female I, form? I still find it funny that, like, it's, it's Connery's the only one that never gets to ski. All the other Bonds, even Lazenby gets to ski. Yes. All the other Bonds, yeah. uh, all the other Bonds do, and Craig gets to ski, too. Yeah. But, but Connery never did. Yeah, so. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not into the, the snow mountains and the skiing. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, I think that's pretty much the movie. I, I, I think... There are elements of it now I'm talking about that I appreciate a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I still find it to be just a very average like movie. Yeah. Like I I did not have for me, I did not have as much fun watching this as I did Tomorrow Never Dies or Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's not like it's not bad. It's not I wouldn't put on a level of like an octopus or view to a killer or anything like that. It's like it's fine. It's right there and kind of like towards the towards that Tomorrow Never Dies thing of just like cutting toward the lower middle. Mm. Of my Bond rankings. Yeah, I think uh, I'd have to think about the Bond rankings in general, but if I had to think of just the Brosnan ones, like I still think GoldenEye is the best well, one. GoldenEye is clearly the best. I think GoldenEye is the best one. I think I like this one a little bit more than uh, Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never Dies. Dies, only because like Tomorrow Never Dies is definitely like I like the bits of the movie that I like a lot. But again, like I kind of always go back to, I, I still think it's like it cuts a little too many corners, whereas I feel like. At least this movie, like its most interesting element, it thoroughly explores. I yeah. feel, and like I said, I was very impressed with like the villain aspect of this movie. I think Brosnan it continues to turn in a very confident mm-hmm. performance. Yeah. It's kind of just like at this point he knows the ropes, and so he, it's going to turn out a good Bond. Yeah. Um, and then there was a lot of good set pieces, and the dialogue and the script had fun when it needed to. I, I, and um, yeah. I do feel like this is a movie that the more I think about it, I'll probably end up putting over Tomorrow Never Dies. Because mm-hmm. I think from a purely fun standpoint, I think I just had more fun with Tomorrow Never Dies. But I, I wouldn't, do, I, Yeah, I wouldn't deny you that one. But I do think that, like, overall, I think there are some stronger elements. With it's also because John, like, Jonathan Price is, like, so, is a lot more f- of a fun presence, and it yeah. leads to the movie being a little bit more fun. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I had fun with this one just from yeah, I had more fun than I thought I would. And I think, like, I think I'll have to think about it, like, a little bit more. Yeah, so. sure. And then uh, should we talk about who's Harrison Ford in this movie? Yeah, who is Harrison Ford in this movie? Um, I have to think of all the different places that they go to in in this movie. Where do they go? Well, they go to they're in London, yeah, in Scotland, and then they also go to like Azerbaijan and yeah. Istanbul. Ooh, this is a tough one. I got it. 
since we just watched the Jack Ryan movies. Yeah. He's basically Jack Ryan from Patriot Games where he's on vacation in London. And then like he <laughs> gets in kind of like slightly involved yeah. because like he's like, you know, he sees Bond on the Thames and maybe he saves somebody. So that would be my role, I guess. Uh, I can't think of anything, so I'll just go with that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, Aftermath. Yes. Let's get into the Aftermath. All right. So the movie uh, premiered in uh, November 26, 1999. Um, it opened up the same weekend as Sleepy Hollow, so there was a lot of debate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very 1999. There was a lot of debate in the American box office of what would win. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow, uh, sorry, not tomorrow, never dies. Uh, the World is Not Enough uh, did win um, with $35 million, uh, where... The uh, Sleepy Hollow made thirty million, but it was the first time in the American box office that two films made thirty million on the same weekend. Um, also, uh, MGM did a marketing partnership with uh, MTV because they feared that Bond wasn't cool for the youths. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in the lead up to the premiere, they did like MTV did like a hundred hours of like Bond movies mm-hmm. and, and like and like behind the scenes and stuff like that um, to to that. So, eventually, it would gross um, three hundred sixty one million worldwide. And 126 in the million in the United States, it became the highest-grossing Bond movie of uh, the, the millennium. Uh, but basically, the highest-grossing Bond movie up to that point. Okay, cool. Um, there was also a lot of rumors in the press about like, oh, this movie was going to be like it was going to feature all the Bond girls that were alive because it's uh, like the last movie of the millennium. But it was all like malarkey. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, like that was never really planned. Yeah, it was just like this is just we're just making this a regular old Bond movie. Um, the reception of the movie was very mixed mm-hmm. um it kind of was at that point kind of the diminishing returns of the pierce brosnan bonds and there were there were people who kind of saw okay the ridiculousness ridiculousness starting to creep in where the people who like kind of gold golden eye for its kind of more groundedness and its realism quote unquote mm-hmm. uh were kind of starting to see like the, you know the saw blade you know helicopter mm-hmm. uh was kind of that um but ebert's Ebert has been a fan of all three of these movies, so yeah. he gave it three and a half stars. He said it was a splendid comic thriller, exciting and graceful, endlessly invented. Um, but uh, Ringo Gillespie of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said it's <laughs> dated and confused. <laughs> uh, and eventually it kind of... Like, probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. Like, on, like on quote-unquote, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's probably like a 50%. Right, right. Um, what was mostly 100% criticized was the dr christmas jones character right, right uh it is for a lot of bond fans she ranks towards the bottom of the bond women yes oh uh, yeah no 100 percent. it's, it's um, not good but i do think it's one of those things like when you watch the movie i think people may overplay like how much of a like a stain that she is on the movie like it's like she's not that bad in the movie yeah it's just it, it's it's more just so like it's just a weak element of the movie yeah she yeah. was she was nominated for a razzie for supporting actors. Ah, well, no. you know. Well, those, like, because I, I, I used to be in the Razzies a lot. Yeah. But uh, then you then, grew up. Then I grew got up. Got smart. And it's like, oh, the Razzies don't actually celebrate the worst in film. They're just like trying to make memes. Yeah. Essentially. Um, but it was also nominated for Best Visual Effects, but did not win at the Oscars. Hmm. Um, the main thing to note, though, unfortunately, this is the final appearance of Desmond Leland yes. as Q. Oh, we like so. I guess we should mention that in the movie, like again, we already mentioned that they have their little moment of like, you yeah. know, he's getting the replacement, and then they have that sweet moment. It's like, oh, does this mean you're, you know, you're leaving, like Q? Yeah. And then like, 
but then it leads to an amazing Q exit yeah. where Q's like, it's like, it's like, I've always taught you two things, which I thought was always, I thought the, what he was going to say, he's like, and always bring the equipment back. <laughs> I thought he was going to say that, yeah. but he's just like something like never, never let them see you bleed and always have an exit strategy. And then he just... He just lowers out of the seat. Like the tile he's standing on <laughs> drops him through the floor. That was an amazing cue exit. Yeah. Like, so that was so, great. I mean, I don't even know if I want to talk about this. It's really sad. Yeah. Uh, I have to say because I did not – it was one of those things where I think I did not realize like how much I've been enjoying him in the role yeah. up until that point. Yeah. Where it's like now that he is like, – Well, because you know. I guess I should mention that he was going to return for Die Another Day. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But then he unfortunately passed in a car accident. Mm. Oh, wow. That's yeah. unfortunate. So, because um, th- I think what they were leading up to was like there was going to be a more kind of like actual like retirement mm-hmm. for Q and like a more of a moment for them. Got so, it, got it. But yeah, unfortunately, like a couple weeks after the film's premiere, he, you know, was killed. Um, but uh, he, Leland is just a big part of that Bond legacy, obviously. Like he... He appeared in, you know, 17 of the 19 Bond films that he that were made in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like only like he only didn't appear in Dr. No because it was a different actor and Live and Let Die because they were just not didn't have a role for him in that movie mm-hmm. and they were trying to switch things up. But like he was always like and especially as you saw kind of the Bond relationship, you know, go. And it's like, you know, he was the only one to work, you know, through Prosnan, he was the one. That, he was the only actor to work with every single Bond. Right. You know, he worked with Connery, Lazenby, Dalton, Moore, and Bosnan. And I think every time, and it's to see the evolution of that character through watching these movies has been kind of a joy. Yeah. To no. See. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, he's been fun all the time. Like, you know, I, I was very happy that he was in these movies as much as he was the Brosnan movies because I didn't think so. It was like even in this movie, which I didn't think he was going to be in at all. Like when he just shows up for the first time, I'm like, oh yeah. It's it's Q, yeah. Um, and you know, and then like once again, Q was the major thing that makes me dislike something from the newer movies a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of want them to to like, go back to that kind to of that type of Q. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, and I think this was always funny. What 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 is also amazing with Q is I think he has really good chemistry with pretty much all those Bond actors. Yeah, like like even like with Lazenby, you have that little moment went the, at the wedding at the end where like, kind of like that. More in Q, especially when you get to like the Moonraker for your eyes only period, like they just play off each other real well. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed the Brosnan, like especially like that you see in Goldeneye. Yeah, like they just again. They just, well, I like this one because now it's like there's the history, and now they yeah. are very much and like they, and colleagues they, and, and buddies. They play, yeah, they decide to play it more like their colleagues. Yeah, so. so so it's just like again, Q is a big big part of that legacy. Yeah, cool. All right, that's it. So yeah, so next time on the Bond. Yeah, side where of we things, where are we going next time? Uh, so we. We end Christmas a little early, but it's time for us to to jinx things up. <laughs> Awful, terrible I segue. Uh, like jinx, yeah. <laughs> you owe me a coke. Um, so yeah, the other thing that Will's been very excited to talk about, yes, is uh, the Jinx spinoff movie. That, is that what we're talking about next time? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie that could have led to the Jinx spinoff movie. Brosnan's final appearance as Bond, and. A very interesting point of transition for the Bond franchise. You know, it's it's basically the end of an era, essentially, of how they kind of make these movies. Yeah. It's Die Another Day from 2002. Yes. Uh, yep, but uh, next time, Nick, is not a uh, Bond movie. It, it ain't no Bond movie. Uh, it is a Godzilla film in which uh, last time we... Uh, Saw Godzilla face off against fan favorite King Ghidorah, and mm-hmm. now it's time to see Godzilla face off against another 
fan favorite. Nick, I hope you're ready for Godzilla versus Mothra. I'm very excited for my moth to come back. <laughs> my moth. But I, Moth- I, I want to see Mothra in this modern context. I'll be interested yeah. to see if they give her a weird Ghidorah type of thing. Well, we, we, we shall see, won't we? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Nick, uh, I'm done. We're, We're done. done. We are done. We're done. Uh, we have an email address, bonzillapod at gmail.com. We have a twitter.com slash bonzilla007. We have a facebook.com slash bonzilla007. We have a soundcloud.com slash bonzilla007. Go ahead, like, subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you want to. You can do either one. All right. Well, until next time, Nick, I am going to go work on my my uh, doctor jokes. Yes. yes. And uh, I am going to make sure that Christmas only comes once a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's bold. <laughs> till next time. Bye. Yeah, how so? I thought Christmas only comes once a year.